This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. All I know is that the 2021 NFL Draft, gentlemen, had a run on, wait for it, long snappers. We had a run on long snappers in the sixth round. And with that being the case, I don't want to hear any blowback or lashback of any sort about yours truly advocating for a punter in round seven when we got a run on long snappers in round six. And that is my intro into Cardinals Underground. I'm already on the defensive over here. Pauly Podcast, Darren Urban and Kyle Odegaard, all brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I, I think that's a that's a fair concern of yours, Paul. Um, I don't think uh, either one of us, Kyle or I, take back anything that we might have done to <laughs> cast aspersions on your decision to possibly draft a punter. Um, but I think it's fair that you bring up the fact that there were some long snappers. Uh, I don't know what those teams were necessarily doing, but... There were two, Darren. There were two long snappers drafted within four picks of each other late in the sixth round. The first one actually wasn't even that late in the sixth round. There was a long snapper taken before the Cardinals to Tay Gowan. I mean, and his name is Thomas Fletcher. Just so you familiarize yourself, it was one of like 70 guys drafted out of Alabama. When Bama even has its long snapper drafted, and then he gets on the phone with Matt Rule, and they sent out the video. Did you see it? And, and, And his quote was to Matt Rule, quote, Am I ready? I'll walk my happy ass to Carolina right now, dude. That was the quote from the long snapper. To be honest, I was a little upset about that whole phone call because people wanted to say that it was the best phone call of the draft when a coach called a player. And uh, hopefully many of the people that are listening to this right now have had the chance to see and hear the Zayvon Collins phone call with Steve Kime. I'm I obviously I'm biased, but I feel like there's no way that gets topped. I don't care if it's a long snapper being surprised that he's getting drafted. Kyle, if form holds, you'll pick a third call. You won't agree <laughs> with either me or Darren. So I don't know if you have a comment on what the best call was out of the war room. I don't know if you want to comment on Thomas Fletcher, who once again is not your financial advisor. He's the long snapper out of Bama. And then three picks later, we had a, you want a name. How about Cameron? Cheeseman out of Michigan, who was drafted by Washington, he's going to sell some jerseys with the last name Cheeseman on the back. So, did you say Thomas Fletcher went ahead of Tay Gowan in the draft? I was either Tay Gowan or Victor DiMichaji. He he no, went yeah. before the Cardinals took their first or second selection in round six. Yeah. I mean. I want to write down every single pick after Thomas Fletcher and no offense to Thomas Fletcher, but what if you get a starting cornerback or a starting anything out of the sixth or seventh round? I mean, where's the value in getting a long snapper? I, I 
don't get it at all. Just sign one of those guys as an undrafted free agent. Don't waste a late round pick on that. Take a lottery ticket. Take a Tay Gowan. If he becomes a starter in this league at some point, that's tremendous value in the sixth round. You're getting zero value at long snapper or punter in the late rounds. How, how do you feel if you're a Panther? And I, I don't know how the Panthers draft went. So for all I know, that was the final Panthers pick. But if it wasn't, how do you feel if you're a Panthers draft pick and you got picked after the long snapper? <laughs> I'm just wondering. Here it is, by the way. He went 222. Tay Gowan went 223. And then Cameron Cheeseman, who opted out of last season, didn't even <laughs> need to play last season for Michigan because of COVID, he went 225. Think about that. I want to see the behind the scenes of the Cardinals war room on day three. They probably were so mad when the long snapper went one pick ahead of when they drafted. There's probably obscenities everywhere in that war room. To your point, Kyle, the Arizona Cardinals got James Wiggins in round seven. Another 20 picks later, they pulled a safety out of Cincinnati, a dude who squatted 725 pounds and has run a 4-4-4-40 and might be the gunner to replace Trent Sherfield. On the other hand, look, what year was it, Darren, when the Cardinals went from Mike Leach and before they found Aaron Brewer – and there was a three or four game stretch where they had a rookie undrafted long snapper who cost him a game in Buffalo, you could argue. Cam Canada in 2016. And yeah, it didn't go well. Although we've had this discussion on, uh, on underground before Cam Canada has become a pro bowl long snapper with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you never know, but yeah, for real. Yeah, for real. I wouldn't lie to you, Paul. Um, <laughs> but I did not know that. I, apparently, I wasn't paying attention to our own podcast. I was not aware of that. <laughs> but, yes, I mean, um, they tried to replace Mike Leach. They had a competition. I don't remember the other guy who competed with Cam Kennedy in 2016, uh, but he won it. Uh, and there was a handful of not good snaps at the outset of the season, including um, arguably one that where uh, Chandler Catanzaro missed the potential game-winning field goal against New England in the season opener that kind of – got that season sideways before it really even started. So long snapper does matter. Let's not say that long snapper doesn't matter. It just feels like you should be able to find one without having to draft one. I was going to say, and then they went and spent $10 million a year on Aaron Brewer, right? Wait, they just signed him as a free agent and he's been fine. You don't, there's no need to spend draft capital on a long snapper. Uh, so what else, Kyle? What's before we get into the players, the Cardinals took away from the 2021 draft, any, Big picture takeaways for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm just most happy for you more than anything that they got their Mike linebacker in the first round. I'm sure Paul Calvisi was giddy on Thursday that, that he got his inside linebacker duo. So I don't know if you were talking to Steve Keim or if you actually made the pick yourself, but uh, I'm sure Paul Calvisi household was very excited on Thursday. Well, you know, the board just sort of came to us. It sort of <laughs> fell to us the way it, it transpired. And uh, yeah, we didn't want to reach, Kyle. And so we figured, okay, uh, corner was the number one need, the number one want, but those guys were gone. Even be Did we not call the Dallas, by the way? Dallas got thumped. They got trumped. They got bamboozled. It was too obvious what they wanted, what they needed. Teams moved in front of them. Dallas loses out. You shouldn't be so obvious there, Jarrah in that Cowboys war room because you got had. Yeah, you're right. I mean, people are sad for the from a Cardinals perspective where they didn't get J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan, but at 16, it felt like as the draft got close, that was kind of a long shot. 
I thought the Cowboys were for sure going to get one of those two guys. So I agree. Like, and I think I read that they're saying Micah Parsons was their guy the whole time. Maybe he was. I mean, you look at the way people grade and maybe they liked him more, but I, I think if one of those guys were on the board at 10, they probably would have taken the corner and that's rough for them to go eight and nine right before you, when you felt like I'm going to get a corner. And look, truth be told, as much as I wanted the middle linebacker, and, and honestly, I was on that after the Super Bowl, after watching Devin White and Levante David and watching that pairing. And then I sort of cooled because I said, well, other than Micah Parsons, who warrants getting selected at 16 overall? And then once we got introduced to Zayvon Collins, and you got a guy who's nearly 6'5", 260, who can run, who appears to be instinctive, who has played most of his career at that Mike linebacker spot, who's a thumper and a guy who appears to be a leader and very self-motivated as well. I mean, once you get introduced to Zayvon Collins and you realize, okay, that's not a reach at 16, because if you ask me for my big picture takeaway in the Cardinals draft 2021, is that there were needs, but they didn't reach to check those boxes. They let those guys come to them as opposed to going after either via trade or using that urgency to overdraft someone that you could have gotten lower. For example, in New England, we did Cardinals draft central and yeah, there might've been some silent celebration as the pick was made. And I might've done a fist pump in the direction of, of, of Dave Pash. But later when Michael Bidwell told us with Lisa Matthews that they were fearing New England at 15 would take Zayvon Collins and then remember, guys, how many times we talk about it, the fact that five quarterbacks potentially could go before the Arizona Cardinals at 16 was only good news, was only going to benefit the Cardinals, was only going to push a position player down. Well, guess what? They got their guy that otherwise would have gone to the Patriots at 15. According to Michael Bidwell, that's what the Patriots told them later on in the draft. If not for Mac Jones, Zayvon Collins would be a New England Patriot right now. Instead, he's with the Arizona Cardinals. And, and Darren – it appears he's going to be given every opportunity to beat out Jordan Hicks from day one. It's, it's, it's an interesting draft for my, my big picture takeaway from the draft when it was all done was it felt like, and this, this can be a, a plus and a minus thing. And, and we're only going to know as it plays out over the years. But the one, the one thing that I really got out of it was I felt like they really went for athleticism. I mean, good people, they've, they've gotten better at making sure they're getting good people. And I know Mark, people are going to want to talk about the Marco Wilson shoe-throwing thing. I don't think that that's, that's, not a, that's not a major check mark to me. I mean, you, you want to make sure a guy controls his emotions on the field and everything. But that was – if he would have spiked it in the ground instead of throwing it 15 yards, nobody would have said anything. So I, I think that's not that big of a deal. But my big picture thing – is I felt like they went for the athleticism, perhaps even more so than maybe other the, some of the other stuff that you might measure a guy by. I mean, obviously, I thought it was interesting when Steve Kime talked about Marco Wilson playing better than he thinks people are giving him credit for, because a lot of people that do this for a living in the media talk about that he struggled. You know, Tig Allen didn't play last year. I, I don't want to hold it against him that he didn't opt in, but he, he's only played one season of high-level football. Uh, since coming out of high school. So I, I, that's the big picture takeaway. But when you come back to Zayvon Collins, um, you do have a little bit of both. He did perform when he was on the field. He absolutely has that athlet as, a, athleticism that we talked about. And I think ultimately 
The question becomes, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any doubt at this point. And Steve Kime actually talked about it a little bit. They were trying to put together because this guy was on the board and they liked him so much. They're seeing this, this duo like uh, Levante David and Devin Smith in Tampa, like uh, Barry Wagner and um, KJ Wright has been in Seattle, like once upon a time, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman in San Francisco. They feel like if you get the, this duo of rangy uh, inside the, the box type of linebackers that you can do a lot of damage to an offense. And we're going to see if that's true because they bet the last two first round picks on it. You know, I'm with you on the measurables. And I think there was one metric or one study out there, Kyle, that said of all the draft classes, the Arizona Cardinals draft class had the most athleticism was the Cardinals and the Atlanta Falcons. And that was based on measurables and some of the testing results. I know next gen stats does, and listen to me, I'm going all analytics over here. Next gen stats does like this overall athleticism score. So for example, Marco Wilson got a 99 grade out of hundred. He based on that score alone would have been a top three corner in the draft just based on athleticism. But as we hit the breaks, we all know athleticism isn't everything because Brandon Williams, once upon a time had some phenomenal athleticism, Chad Williams as a receiver, had some unbelievable athleticism scores. One of the only receivers to have better athleticism scores and metrics than Rondell Moore over the last few years was Andy Isabella. So it all comes down to, can you play? And that's where you earn your money, obviously, as a draft expert, as a GM, as a personnel evaluator, because anyone can look at the metrics and say, oh my gosh, I mean, Look at Marco Wilson right in front of me here. 4-3-4-40, a vertical of 43 and a half inches, 26 reps on the bench as a corner. Sure that, but can he play, Kyle? Yeah, Marco Wilson and Zaven Collins, to me, are two of the kind of pivot points of this draft. I'll, I'll go with Zaven first, where, yeah, you talk about getting those inside linebackers in sync and doing a lot of things together. And that's obviously the the goal. And I think the ceiling is there. Zayvon Collins ran a 4.6740, I think. So he's not in Isaiah Simmons stratosphere as far as straight line speed. And I believe Steve Kimes said that Zayvon Collins can cover running backs in coverage. And, and you look at the coverage grade of Zayvon Collins in college, and it was phenomenal. And if he can do that in the NFL, I think the Cardinals will have a really nice duo if he can't quite cover running backs one-on-one -on -one or has some trouble with the speedier, shiftier guys, then I think the ceiling isn't as high for a guy like that. And you want it to be high as a first round pick. So I really want to see how he does in coverage. He's so big and I think he's smart enough where he's going to do good against the run and they're going to have a big body in there that can move laterally. But some of these running backs are so shifty and so quick even in camp, like if he goes against Chase Edmonds, how is that matchup going to go? So I'm really looking forward to that. And then Marco Wilson, I think, is is so important because, as we've talked about, the Cardinals need at number two cornerback, and they didn't address it with a day one or day two pick. So it's not an automatically slide this guy in as a starter type choice. If Marco Wilson turns that athleticism into snap in, snap out production, then I think he can become that guy eventually. But 
fourth round, you worry you worry a bit about can he become that guy, especially early on. I mean, why is a guy that athletic going in the fourth round originally? So uh, those two guys, I want to see how they look uh, in training camp and how much they can contribute early on. Obviously, the the belief in Zayvon Collins is really high because of where he was picked. I think Marco Wilson's more of that wild card where you can't count on him starting as a rookie. If he does, I think that gives you a nice boost, but I still feel like free agency could be in play because you've got Robert Alford and a couple of day three picks at cornerback. So I'm interested to see what cornerback looks like as the months go on heading into camp. I mean, to me, at least your initial reaction on Zayvon Collins is 6'5", 260, and he's a middle linebacker. Really? He, he can get away with that? And then you hear him compare himself to a Jamie Collins or a Brian Urlacher, and you go, okay. The NFL popular comp is a Tremaine Edmonds. I know I did a, a segment with Lorenzo Alexander, former Cardinals linebacker, former Bills linebacker, former teammate of Tremaine Edmonds. He bought into that. He said, absolutely. I had another linebacker, uh, former linebacker, tell me a guy who played more than 10 years in the league. Zayvon Collins might want to think about losing five or 10 pounds just when he encounters the sort of athletes that you'll get in the NFL. Okay, maybe, depending on his body fat percentage. We'll see. But you guys know when Tyron Matthew was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, he ran a four or five something. But what was the initial immediate takeaway from Cardinals coaches? He might have run a four or five, but he plays like he runs a four or three. He's so instinctive. Whereas in a Hassan Reddick, what do you run? Hassan Raddick ran in the four fours, four I fours. believe, right? Yeah. But, but he didn't play like it because yeah. he never he never adapted to inside linebacker. And because he'd hesitate, he's always a half step or full step slow. And so he never played with that sort of game speed, Darren. Here and here's look, people want to say it doesn't we get to camp, doesn't matter. We get to camp, it doesn't matter. It does matter. What were the two examples that you just gave and where does Zaven Collins fit in? With the two examples you just gave, Tyron Matthew, as big of a name as he was, he was a third-round pick. Hassan Reddick was a first-round pick. Zayvon Collins is a first-round pick. Sorry, but if you're a first-round pick, the bar is higher. It's it's easier. You can you can take the chances with a third-round pick. You can you can go do it. And that's I know I can I understand some of the frustrations sometimes of the fans when they see some of these first-round picks. Now I'm not saying Zayvon Collins is Hassan Reddick. Clearly, the way Steve Kime talked about Zayvon Collins the night they drafted him, he does not see him as Hassan Reddick, and he wanted to cut that off immediately. Any kind of comparisons there that this is a guy that's positionless like uh, Isaiah Simmons was, or that this is a guy who's changing positions like Hassan Reddick did. He made that very clear that that is not what was happening. And uh, I think it, it made a difference. I think it does make a difference as they look at him. But ultimately, when you're a first-round pick, your, your bar is high to clear. And uh, Tyron Matthew turned out to be the best-case scenario of a third-round pick. But again, a third-round pick, you, there's a feel, a, a feel like you don't have a margin for error with a first-round pick. And we all know, and it does, I'm not just talking about the Cardinals anymore, I mean, Half these first-round picks are going to be meh or worse for these teams. They, that's just how it goes because you can't predict how these are going to go. And every team is not going to hit on their first-round pick, but you you would like to hit on more than others. And I just I think it's a really huge deal. You know, we always talk about the betting, you know, taking that quarterback high. 
and, and putting a lot on that in terms of your next few years about how it's going to turn out for your team. I feel like the, with the way the board ended up and the way the Cardinals have done this and the way they've built their defense, they, again, like I said before, I think they put a lot on the middle front seven between taking Isaiah Simmons in the first round last year and, and Zayvon Collins this year. I, I think there's a lot riding on those picks now. And they, and that's, that's a, a little bit of pressure. And I know Zayvon Collins said, I love pressure. I love pressure. I've had pressure my whole life. I would expect nothing less, especially after we saw that phone call um, to, for him to say that. Uh, but you still got to perform. So we'll, we'll see. And I like Zayvon Collins, and I think he's got a chance to be a very good player. But I'm, I'm definitely a wait-and-see person for every single guy that gets drafted. But if he hadn't played the Mike linebacker the last three years, he would have no chance at supplanting a Jordan Hicks. No chance whatsoever. He's been calling the defense, albeit at Tulsa. I get it. But if he's going to play early, it's the fact that he has those reps at that position that gives him a viable realistic chance especially when you consider and look Vance Joseph brought this up on his own on the Big Red Ridge radio show a couple months ago the Cardinals finished wait for it everybody in the bottom third of run defense so when you bring in a J.J. Watt who by the way led the NFL in tackles for loss against the run and then you get a thumper hopefully in a Zayvon Collins now look is he going to provide hopefully the ability to cover the tight end and the running back. Yes. And I agree with you, Kyle. And that was a glaring mismatch and a matchup problem for the Cardinals, not just last year, but the year before the inside linebackers were not able to match up. Even Isaiah Simmons himself got victimized in week one, obviously in that 49ers game. And that was very costly right off the bat. So if you're telling me that a Zayvon Collins is according to Steve Kime was not only covering the tight end and running backs, but at times they put them on slot receivers at Tulsa. Uh, that gives me a little bit of hope that it's not going to be such a mismatch when the running back's coming out of the backfield on third and seven. Well, we were having this discussion last year about Isaiah Simmons covering the slot, and he didn't do it a ton as a rookie. I think it's a lot more realistic for Isaiah Simmons to cover in the slot than Zavin. And I, I know that's not your point, the fact that he was able to do coverage. And, yeah, he was good in college at coverage. He had a 93.6 coverage grade from Pro Football Focus which was the highest among any linebacker draft prospect. So he's shown the ability to cover, but it was at Tulsa. I mean, you know, there's a big jump to the NFL with these tight ends. I mean, George Kittle is not anybody you saw at Tulsa. Uh, so I'm like Darren said, I'm kind of in wait and see mode, what he looks like in coverage, the running thing. I think he will help the run. I just don't put a lot of stock in stopping the run. I don't think, winning defensively in the NFL in 2021 will be stopping the run. So yeah, it's, it's a help, but in the first round, I'm not prioritizing a guy that can stop the run. I think there's more important aspects to a defender when you're looking at how good these teams are at passing. Um, and, and we'll see how quickly he does get it. I think the instinct thing was right on Paul, where if he has these natural instincts that can make up for that slight disadvantage in 40 yard dash speed. And he'll need to have that in order to cover these guys. Cause he needs to know what's going on, where they're going to go, what type of routes he's going to be getting. And if he's there in it, from an intelligence perspective, that's a big boost. You can tell when Steve Kime talks about Zayvon Collins that um, he sees the all around game. I mean, I, I think you can see that he could be good against the run. I agree with Kyle. That would be down on my priority list in terms of a first round pick and an inside linebacker. 
But what, what's the most memorable uh, Steve Kime quote about Zayvon Collins that came out of those first couple of days? To me, it was when he said, with Isaiah Simmons, you got a couple of trees right there in the middle. With Isaiah Simmons being 6'4", and Zayvon Collins being 6'5", or 6'4 half or whatever he is, and with some with some arm length, that's even if they're just patrolling in a zone in the middle, that's that's a tough way to, to go about your business trying to throw down the middle with those two guys. And I think ultimately it is going to be the pass defense that's that's going to mean the most to this team, and that's where they're hoping they're going to get the most. And the other thing I would add too is, in terms of the impact Zayvon Collins can have right away, I mean, first I think you have to. I mean, Devondre Campbell I don't think is coming back, so Isaiah, this is Isaiah Simmons' job. He, he better be ready from jump. He doesn't have any excuses right now. Zayvon Collins, you do still have Jordan Hicks. I'm not going to put it past a guy like Jordan Hicks who knows the game so well to up his game, knowing that his time here probably is coming to an end, even if it's not this season, after this season, because they just drafted his replacement, and that's been made fairly clear. Um, for him to up his game at the same time that Zayvon Collins is still kind of learning. I mean, if Jordan Hicks plays at the outset of the season, that doesn't necessarily mean Zayvon Collins was bad. It might mean that Jordan Hicks played really well. But, but you do have that kind of fallback position where you can use Jordan Hicks in certain situations. You know, by the way, a note to self, when we're in the middle of July and we need a topic for a podcast – we're going to like get so into it on whether stopping the run is still important or not. Just right. file that away. That's a whole nother podcast. I, like I want that. a piece of both of you on that topic. Anyway, when it comes to Zayvon Collins, my final thought, and I just throw this out there because you never know when this NFL draft stuff, it's like wall street past performance is no indicator of future results. And when I was trying to figure out, all right, wait a minute, that she won the Chuck Bednarik. He won the Bronco Nagurski. What are those awards again? And I clicked on them for a quick definition. And then you see they go to the top defenders in college football. And you look through it and you go, oh, yeah. Luke Keekley won the Bronco Nagurski Award. That's outstanding. Okay, you know, Cardinals could definitely use a Luke Keekley. And then you realize, guess who else won the Bronco Nagurski Award? Scooby Wright as an inside linebacker. So it could be either or. You never know. You never quite know. Uh, and, and with that in mind, the Cardinals obviously focused on defense with a number of their picks, and we'll get to the corners in a minute. How about a quick word, Kyle, on Victor Demukeji is what we're going to go with, the defensive end slash outside linebacker who's going to project to that in the NFL, nearly 6'2", 262. Here's my favorite stat on Demukeji, and notice I'm not calling him Vic. I do not fear the last name. That as a 17-year-old in high school, he bench-pressed 225 pounds, 32 times as a 17 year old in high school. That's absurd. Can't, can't we, uh, if we're going to struggle pronouncing his name, why, what, why can't we just go with Marcus golden 2.0? I mean, isn't that basically what we're looking at here? Well, Marcus already likes to refer to himself in the first person, especially in those wired, uh, segments. So I, I don't know. I, it feels like we're encroaching a little bit on his personal property. Fair. That's fair. I, I will say that, I did notice the Marcus Golden thing when you first saw him. And look, he's a guy with the high motor. And he did have some production. I mean, he wasn't getting 20 sacks out there a year, but he, he had seven sacks and eight sacks. And you're not bringing him in probably to be you know a major starter. He's a guy who might be a rotation guy off the edge, but he's a guy you're going to probably like to have in your locker room. He went to Duke. You know he's got to be smart. You know he's got to be strong. Those guys, especially in the sixth round, you need those guys too. 
I think uh, when you take yeah when you take a six round outside linebacker, it means that they they're missing something because edge rushers are are so prevalent and so wanted in the NFL that guys are going to take them early if they feel like they have some significant upside and being a bit smaller, not having the off the charts production, you can see why he was available in the sixth round. And now you just want him to be such a hard worker and have that motor that he can become a a rotational type guy and maybe specific situations. Uh, But we'll see. I mean, I think he's, he's got a lot to prove and, this year they have so many outside linebackers that I'd be very surprised if he had any sort of significant role. But if you can sit and learn for a season and, and try to figure out where your niche is in the NFL, it's possible. But all, all these late round guys, I feel like the first the first thing they have to do is make the team. And then once you make the team, see if you can carve out some sort of role. Well, Marcus Golden was a former second round pick. So that's our segue into the second round this year. And speaking of the weight room, do you guys see the video of the fine diminutive American Rondale Moore as a freshman at Purdue squatting 600 pounds and they list him at 5'7", 181. So uh, yeah, that's called having a, a strong base underneath you. I, I mean, again, when we were circling back to the measurables, and, and Rondale Moore did have uh, a lot of production, again, in basically one year, one full year of football without the injuries. But um, he had some amazing measurables, just like some of these other guys did. Now, he's done it when he's on the field. You've really seen it show up a lot time and time again. And, and it, it was a spot. Look, they're not going to say this right now, but all I could think when they took him was, unfortunately, Andy Isabella hasn't worked out. And we need a guy to do that that role. And you mentioned earlier the measurables were a lot like Andy Isabella. I'm not saying they're the exact same player, uh, but I feel like for this team, you have a one role for a guy like that. And it's you're not going to have multiple people. And in fact, Christian Kirk probably felt that pick pretty hard too. And it's just funny, this team continue, has used second-round picks over the last four years now on three of these similar type receivers, um, I know they're probably hoping that this one really hits because you, you got to get one of these right. And I think one of Steve Kimes biggest strengths is realizing that he has sunk costs and not to worry about it. Yeah, Rondale Moore and Andy Isabella do have very similar measurables, similar size, but you're not sitting here hoping that Andy Isabella works out in his third season because you haven't seen it yet. And I give him props for grabbing another prospect that looks similar that a lot of fans are going to say it's Andy Isabella 2.0 and this isn't going to work, but it's clearly a, a different player completely. And one who maybe has more of that short area quickness. I think we know that Andy Isabella has the long speed but Rondell Moore, Rondell Moore feels like that guy who you can get the ball to on bubble screens and jet sweeps and maybe has just that more instinctual feel for the game on those type of plays in addition to the long speed. So I agree that they still need that guy on offense and they've been searching for him, but they haven't found it yet because Andy Isabella hasn't worked out. And I, I think he's a little bit different than Christian Kirk. I think Christian Kirk has more of an all around receiver game to him. Doesn't have that blinding elite speed. So I do think they can coexist in this offense where you have a set, play list for Rondell Moore you get him in the game maybe you give him 
four or five touches on offense, get him the punt and kick return stuff. It might not be a bunch right away, but I do think they're going to try a lot of things to get him involved early if he shows that explosion in camp. And I and I agree. I'm, I'm not saying Isabella is the one that really brought up my thing. The Christian Kirk thing is a different thing other than the fact that Christian Kirk's going into the final year of his contract, and you don't know exactly where that's going to go going forward. Um, but I, I, you know, I look, I asked – Cliff Kingsbury about the tight end situation and if that was lower on the priority list for this team because of how they run things. And his first words were, well, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but then he went on to say how much 10 personnel they use, how much 10 personnel he likes to use and getting the best four guys on the field. And I do think there is a part of them that very much likes the idea. And with all due respect to Ron Wolfley and how this offense is supposedly going to like have this, uh, Teutonic shift change in the plates of of the world uh, with running the game and being forceful and everything. And I'm like, I I love Wolf, but I'm like, I think Cliff Kingsbury wants to run out DeAndre Hopkins and Rondale Moore and Christian Kirk and A.J. Green and do some things. And he wants to get better in the run game, but I don't think there's going to be any kind of significant change. I I just don't um, because that's the coach you have. Hey, Wolf, there ain't no fullback walking through that front door. Capiche? Just get that through your head. And I agree with you. The fact that in his very first draft, the Cardinals went after Andy Isabella in round two. And now two years later, they go after Rondale Moore because they don't draft Rondale Moore if Andy Isabella pans out, if Isabella was productive. And I agree with you. Nobody's told me this. Most definitely not Cliff Kingsbury. But I'm guessing that he's in that war room and he's talking to Steve Kime and they're having some high-level meetings. And there's some serious, significant discussion about how important that sort of player is to the overall success of his offensive scheme as he envisions it. As the play caller, as the play designer, they need that sort of guy to be the guy. It was pretty noticeable to me that there wasn't a ton of jet motion and that sort of thing last season. And I just don't think you had that guy. Christian Kirk could do it a little bit, but he wasn't the type of game breaker in that situation where it totally scared the defenses. Andy Isabella wasn't scaring defenses because he hadn't shown it. And if you can add that eye candy going horizontal, you can do some extra stuff. And I think Cliff Kingsbury would like to go 10 personnel, but we've clearly seen that he hasn't had for receivers that deserve that type of playing time in the first two years. And we're at the point where sometimes we, we haven't had three receivers where it felt like all these guys are threats at times. So I think they're trying to boost that up and it will be interesting if AJ green can rebound a bit from last season. And if Rondale Moore can hit the ground running as a rookie, then maybe you do have the four guys you want to spread it out and do some different things. And, Yeah, at his core, I think Cliff Kingsbury would love to do that stuff, put Rondale more in motion, make the defense wonder what's going to happen, be quick hitting. And to his credit, he didn't do that last season in in 2019 because he didn't have the personnel. But I feel like they are trying to push for that, trying to find it so they can really unlock this offense. You guys remember the Cardinals' most recent trip to Kansas City. It was Patrick Mahomes' second season, his MVP season. I've never seen a defense just being on the sideline react to a speed guy like the Cardinals defense would lose their mind when Tyreek Hill went in motion. The entire defense would react. 
it was, I mean, you want a seismic shift? You went to San Andreas, and I was in the 7.1 Loma Prieta earthquake. We can do another podcast on that, circa 1989, October 17th, 5.04 p.m., and I ran for my life out of a Safeway. It was an absolute earthquake every time Tyree Kill went in motion, and it impacted virtually every guy in that defense. They were totally aware of where he was, and the Chiefs did a masterful job of using that to their advantage. They, Whether they got it to him, or the illusion of getting it to him, that illusion of complexity or whatever the term was going back a couple of years with Cliff Kingsbury, that's Rondale Moore as they envision it. But the best thing I heard out of that war room about the Cardinals' second-round pick out of Purdue was in the all-access coverage that the Cardinals put out, and there's going to be a ton of it in the upcoming flight plan, when Cliff Kingsbury turned to Steve Kime and said, he's a dog. Because to be that size – and to excel, even with all that speed, you got to be that guy. You have to be tenacious. You have to be ferocious. I remember almost a decade ago, Cardinals had a free agent, slot receiver, similar size, 5'8", 5'9". He had some quicks to him, and there was a little bit of buzz early in camp. I don't remember the guy's name because he never made it out of the preseason, but there was a longtime Cardinals defender who said, Paulie Pencilneck, don't even go there with any sort of comparison." To any of the greats, like the New England slot guy whose name escapes me, who just retired. Wes Walker, what? <laughs> Wes Walker at the time, but there was also, who's the guy who just Edelman. retired? Oh, Julian Edelman. Julian, thank you. And he said, Julian Edelman will tear your face off once the game starts. He will fight you to the death. He's that kind of guy. And you better be that kind of guy to excel at that sort of size and speed in the NFL. And this particular player didn't have it. He didn't make it out of camp. And to hear that Rondell Moore is that sort of fierce competitor, that honestly, more than anything, gives me hope that he could develop into that sort of player. Because we've seen guys with some of the speed, but on game day, they're minimized or neutralized. So we'll see. All I know is that in his freshman year, he was a first-team All-American, legit. He was the Big Ten receiver of the year. So it goes beyond the measurables and the speed and the three cone, anything else, you, the weight room stuff, he has been productive as a player at a high level among some of the best in college football. And you can only hope that obviously translates because the Cardinals haven't been able to get that in the last three, four years. It's it, you, you, The two things you just mentioned, both really good points, although I can let Kyle handle the dog part because the, the part that really caught my ear was the first part where you're talking about the Kansas City offense and watching it, and I know that, you know, I don't have in front of me, but I know a lot of the people that measure this stuff said that the Cardinals are one of those teams that does not actually use a lot of pre-snap motion and a lot of uh, during the, you know, motion during the snap. And you wonder how much of that is what Cliff Kingsbury has in the playbook, and you wonder how much of that is you just don't have the guys. And I'll be very curious because this is the perfect uh, – the perfect guy to drop into something like that. I mean, people are making the Tyreek Hill comparisons in terms of some of his measurables, his speed, his vertical uh, leap. He's obviously a little shorter than Tyreek Hill. And certainly nobody is sitting here saying that this guy is going to be Tyreek Hill 2.0. We don't know that. And that's not fair because Tyreek Hill is one of the best players in this league. But if he can become that guy where like Tyreek Hill, he's coming across the line of scrimmage as the ball is snapped and half your defense is staring at him to see if he gets the ball and you buy that that millisecond of time, 
that would to me that changes so much in a good way for the Cardinals offense and performing at a, a a young age I think is an important thing that you brought up Paul when you do that stuff as a freshman I don't know if he was 18 or 19 at the time but when you're playing against 21 22 year old opponents in a big conference like that that to me is very impressive and and you look and when you look at the draft in every sport teams really prioritize what you do at a certain age and Rondell Moore got hurt and and kind of had the half opt-out thing so he didn't play a bunch the last two seasons but that says a lot to me what he did at, at a young age I think that means he can be a special player because when you're doing it against those guys that are several years older than you, that have the experience that have grown into their bodies more, that are more mature. I think that really portends good things ahead for Rondell Moore. You guys see what Des Bryant tweeted out before the start of round two It was four or five hours. And he tweeted out and uh, I retweeted it at Paul Calvisi. He said, and I quote, Rondell Moore, instant impact wherever he go. Tweet and tweet Des Bryant. Oh no, he added, remember this tweet. Once again, here's the entirety of the Des Bryant tweet before round two. Rondale Moore, instant impact, wherever you go, remember this tweet. I hope so. I mean, everybody hopes so. I yeah. mean, I, again, when we get to the draft, I don't care what we're talking about. I don't care about what we're talking about ahead of time where we talk about big boards and mock drafts. I don't care if we're talking about after the fact when we're talking about draft grades or all this stuff. You don't know. You don't know how this is going to happen. The number of times I've been here uh, after the draft and said, I really like this guy or this guy, and some of them have turned out, and obviously a number of them have not, and that's just how it's going to go. And like I just said earlier, I mean, nobody took a first-round pick this year thinking, hey, I'm picking this guy, but he's probably going to flame out, but I'm going to pick him anyways. And yet you go back and look, first round after first round, almost all the time, half of those guys at best give you – jag results just the guy results so you know i i hope he's super successful i just it's one of those things where i'm not trying to be negative i'm trying to be nothing i'm trying to be middle of the road because I, I i just don't know i mean ultimately like you were saying before when we were talking about zavin collins i mean i hope zavin collins has a big impact this year but you know who's gonna have the bigger impact on this defense jj watt i mean he just will so you know Whatever happens with Zayvon Collins, if J.J. Watt falls on his face and doesn't play well, and please, J.J., don't take that personally because I'm. I, this is hypotheticals here. It won't to me. It won't matter what Zayvon Collins does because you're in deep doo doo. There definitely was a, a concerted effort, though, by Steve Kime to pick guys that he feels like can contribute immediately, and that's what Cliff Kingsbury said going in. That was the mission: was to find guys in the first round and the second round that could give us something this year. And as we know, that hasn't always been the philosophy for Steve Kime. When he took DJ Humphreys, they knew he might not play as a rookie, even though he was the first rounder. Robert Kimdichi, kind of the same thing. So there, Isaiah Simmons last year, they knew he wasn't going to be a huge part of it right away. And I feel like it is a philosophical shift this season because of where they are as far as competitiveness where you want these guys coming in at least giving us something in the first half of the season and maybe getting a bigger role in the second half because they feel like they're a playoff team and if you can get two more elite level athletes on the field and I'm not saying they'll be elite players from a production standpoint but if you can get upper tier athletes out there that's going to 
raise the potential of the team. And I feel like, as we've been talking about all offseason, where they are with Kyler Murray's rookie rookie contract window, they're really pushing hard right now. And, and those two guys can add to that if they're ready immediately. They need those guys at that spot. To your, to your point, they don't have a viable guy at that impact slot receiver burner position right now who's who's proven himself, who's been able to keep a, a defense honest and, and been able, you know, so there's that. And then you have, you know, the middle linebacker spot where, you know, it was Jordan Hicks. How did he grade out on film? So they're hoping you can get an above average performer perhaps at that spot. And then obviously he's in the last year of his deal as well. So a lot of decisions, but yeah, I think it underscores how they are all in for this year and they want that immediate contribution from at least these top two draft picks. There's no doubt about that. If not some of these cornerbacks as well, obviously look, if you're going to look at one depth chart in the NFL as a rookie corner, especially someone who was drafted on day three, you want to come to the Arizona Cardinals. It is absolutely wide open. If your name is Marco Wilson in the fourth round, if your name is Tay Gowan in, in round six, even James Wiggins in round seven to make that DB room as a safety and then be a guy on teams. You have as good an opportunity as anyone taken on, on day three with any team, I would think in any position group. And then you, you go after guys who have the size and the speed and, and the athleticism. Let's get back to Marco Wilson here real quick. Six foot one ninety one. We mentioned some of the measurables, 4-3-4, 40 and a 43 and a half vertical, just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. When you look at a Todd McShay pre-draft evaluation, and I got some lashback a little bit on Twitter on this one because I just posted basically what Todd McShay said, and I'll quote it. From a talent standpoint, Marco Wilson is probably a second or third round pick. Has really great range. He plays aggressively, lays his body on the line, really gifted. The two big problems, according to McShay, and I quote, is that he lacks good ball skills. The other big issue is his tackling skills. Okay. To me, that's probably two big reasons why he fell into round four, obviously. But how many quarters have elite ball skills? And if you're counting on your corner to have 100-plus tackles, like, oh, I don't know, Malcolm Butler did, you can count those guys on one hand. Well, uh, to be honest, the first thing I think of, Paul, is like, wait – he doesn't have great ball skills, so when he's defending the pass, he's not as great. And he doesn't tackle great, so if he has to have run support, he's not great in that either. That's the first thing I think of. Look, as I said earlier, I think they went with a lot of athleticism in this draft. Um, he, when, when you're looking at a cornerback, and this probably goes for any position, but cornerback, I think especially in a lot of ways, you can't, you can't teach a guy to run. I mean – a guy could have the best ball skills in the world, and if he's running a 4.85, you're not going to be able to use him a lot because he's just not going to be able to keep up. So you have to have some of the inherent uh, athleticism and talent to get there, and, and you hope that you can turn that and you can improve the ball skills because you feel like the ball skills are something that could possibly be taught. Now, we'll, we'll have to see where that goes. Justin Bethel is a great example. He had a lot of athleticism. They had hoped for a long time about him being the, uh, the cornerback of the future, and it just never happened in a large part because he just could never figure out the ball skills. He could never get to the point where he, he had a ball awareness when he was covering a guy. The playoff game and the Hail Mary uh, against the Packers is a great example. And 
you hope Marco Wilson can feel that. Now, talking to him after the draft, he's clearly miffed that he didn't get drafted higher. Um, I've read enough stuff. He handled it well when we were asking him about it, and apparently handled it really well when the Cardinals asked him about it. But from what I understand, he wished the whole shoe-throwing thing would be in his past. He'd rather not talk about that. Um, and he's going to have an opportunity to – have a new start here and to show that what we should be talking about is what a good cornerback he is, but he's going to have to prove it. And I, I guess it goes back to with, whether it's him or take Allen, who has got, again, a lot of nice physical skills, limited experience. Um, can they show something right away? Or are we in a position now where they have to sign a veteran to compete in there? My, my feeling is this. They've got Malcolm Butler. I think Tay Gowan and Marco Wilson make this team unless they completely wash out in camp, which I don't expect. Obviously, Byron Murphy makes this team. So I don't think they're going to have more than five cornerbacks. So my question is, is Robert Alford the fifth guy that's going to be there, the veteran who can play right away while these guys learn? Or does Robert Alford get bounced out by somebody they sign sooner or somebody they sign into camp when they realize Robert Alford isn't playing well enough, perhaps? or they realize one of these other two rookies is too far behind. That's the question I have at the cornerback room right now with how this plays out. Because if you have both these rookies and Alford's good enough, I don't think they add any more cornerbacks. I think those, those unless something really weird happens, those are going to be your five guys. And I know everyone had their fun with Marco Wilson. They got the memes out there again, the whole Austin Powers. Who throws a shoe? You know, I mean, okay, we get it. You know what, though? Based on listening to what he had to say, and reading some of the stories about the repercussions, how that directly led to them losing a game. And honestly, a shot at the national championship. They were eight and one. They never should have lost to LSU. LSU continued that drive, ended up a 57-yard game-winning field goal in the fog. His family was there for his last home game, Marco Wilson. He had to come out of the locker room, everybody looking at him as the guy who lost his emotions and directly helped lose the game go out there and he's got grandparents in attendance. And I mean, if there's a guy who had to have learned his lesson about controlling and managing your emotions, it's gotta be Marco Wilson. So on one hand, he got that out of his system. And I think he's pretty repentant and he's learned his lesson as a young man. Yes, it can be costly. We saw last year, guys at Seattle, Drake Kirkpatrick lost his mind on a brutal penalty after a third down stop that continued to Seahawks drive that, if you go back, I defy you to pick another moment in that game that didn't turn the tide in that game. That Drake Kirkpatrick penalty was – but you bring in a guy who uh, you would hope, unlike a Justin Bethel, and that's a great cop there, Darren, but Justin Bethel a lot of times wasn't even in the same zip code as the receiver. You know, he, just, he had all the athleticism. Beyond the ball skills, he didn't seem to have the cover skills as a corner. I don't think that's the case with Marco Wilson at least hopefully for the Cardinals' sake, he may not be able to come down with a ball, but at least he'll be able to knock it down. Uh, hey, if he can be close enough, I don't think you care that much if your fourth-round pick is getting seven interceptions a season. I mean, if he can cover, that's gravy. I mean, that's that's what you want. If he can pick off the ball, that's gravy to me. Uh, but I, I think in the fourth round, with that type of athleticism, I think Justin Bethel is a great example where he still needs to polish a lot of stuff in his game to prove that he can be an NFL cornerback because somebody that big and that fast and that athletic 
if you show any semblance of production, you are going on day two at the latest. So I think he needs to show a lot. And maybe the Cardinals, when they get him with some coaching and with their style of defense, maybe he fits. And if so, it's a really good pick. But I feel like going into this season, that number two cornerback spot is still a question mark. And I think clearly Robert Alford will be more ready to play than Marco Wilson in 2021. It's just a, a matter of health and whether he stays healthy. And I think the Cardinals still could bring in a veteran free agent because I understand the depth chart part of it where you're probably going to keep these five, but you need to make sure that number two spot is really uh, latched down pretty well. And, and right now, Getting both of these guys so late in the draft, I'm not sure that was completely answered quite yet. So I still think that's probably the biggest question mark heading into the season. And, and, and a couple of different things here. One, I'm not arguing about the depth chart thing. We They could have people in training camp. I just think ultimately that's how it's going to suss out on the actual roster is you'll have these two rookies probably and then and then it's going to be offered or a different veteran along with Murphy and Butler. That's how I think it's going to ultimately pan out. But a bigger picture uh, not that we're finished right now, but I do want to say this. We kind of talk about what these guys need to do, uh, what my, some of their shortcomings might be. I don't want to come across as super negative either. Um, like I said, I feel like I'm trying to keep a, an even keel about all of this. I've seen lots of people who hated this draft that are fans and all this stuff, and I don't understand that. I think they've got some very talented players that we don't know how they're going to do, but at the same time, I don't understand – I, I, I get it if you don't want to say this is the best draft ever because you don't know. But for the same reason, you can't say this is a bad draft. I disagree that it's a bad draft. And I, I going back to what you said earlier, Paul, about like not reaching. I mean, again, we talked about it coming in, the, the Cody Brown pick of the pass rusher once upon a time or reaching for a cornerback. And I, maybe Greg Newsom ends up being really good. But if they had these grades out where they said Greg Newsom was going to be a solid starting quarterback, and they had grades on uh, Zayvon Collins that said he's got a chance to be a multi-pro bowler linebacker. That, that's not even a discussion. And it shouldn't be. And that's what they're getting paid for. And maybe they make a mistake. Maybe they don't. That's, that's ultimately Michael Bidwell's decision to decide what all happens with everybody. But I, I have no problem with them going and saying Zayvon Collins has got a chance to be a superstar in this league if things go right. And that's possible. So I, I don't want to have, especially myself, come across like every single one of these guys has so many warts. What are they doing? That's not how I'm looking at this draft at all. I mean, Darren, how can you not be bullish on the Cardinals draft class when they got the self-proclaimed Tom Brady of the cornerbacks, right? If they got the Tom Brady of the corners, then, I mean, come on now, right there. I mean, you, you had me at, at Tom Brady. Uh, take they out, got, right? They got the Tom Brady of the cornerbacks one pick after the long snapper. That's right. That's right, Carolina. Matt Rule, how's that taste? Right? <laughs> Work that into your war room conversation. We want to see the all-access video on that out of Carolina. Are you kidding me? They get Tay Gowan, corner, 6-1 out of Central Florida, 186, opted out of last season. Uh, he said to be with his infant daughter, who was born prematurely, didn't want to take any chances with COVID-19. Okay, that's a double ding, I think, in our book on that one, as he has his priorities straight family before football. What's intriguing though, and I presume is the reason he lasted until round six and gives him the chance to be the Tom Brady of corners. We can't say that enough is the fact that he only really had, he did only have one season 
at the FBS level, at the D1 true big school level, even UCF. And so there you go. But that one year he had, and you know this, Kyle, you saw some of these analytics as well. If you believe pro football focus, his passer rating allowed was 26.6. That was in single coverage in 2019, which was the second lowest in college football that year. Yeah, pro football focus is all over him as a potential steal in the draft. And I, I do think there has to be context to it because of the competition that was faced. And sometimes these cornerback wide receiver combos weren't close to, to some of the big ones in, in college football or now in the NFL. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, he's a six-round cornerback. But when you start talking about a guy with the type of ability he showed in college, and yeah, it was only one season, but once again, he did it when he was pretty young, still showed that ability. And and I think it's worthy to take a flyer on a guy like that, especially so late where there are some question marks, but they can be easily explained in two or three years looking back, like he opted out. And if he played and he played well, maybe he would have been a day two pick. And now you got him in the sixth round. So I really like those type of gambles on athleticism, on opt-out guys, on injured guys. I think that's the type of risk you take in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. And and maybe Jalen Thompson is a good example, a supplemental pick. Like you just take guys that have upside and maybe it doesn't work out, but I mean, give me the cornerback with with potential over, let's say a long snapper. I, I would agree with that. I mean, I know that uh, Cliff and Kime both said that they felt Marco Wilson was a steal of the draft. I think this guy has the chance to be it. It's easy to go there because it's a six-round pick. It's late in the sixth round. It was their second sixth-round pick. Uh, if you would have said that Mason Cole, where he was it, with your team, was going to be able, you were going to be able to trade him for a chance a, at a solid cornerback in this league, even if he's just uh, a solid backup, you would have taken that in a second. And that's what they've done. It's like Kyle said earlier, the whole lottery ticket type of situation. It was a late sixth round pick. You got in a trade for a guy that, quite frankly, probably wasn't going to make your roster by the time you got to end of training camp with Mason Cole. And now you, you turn it into a potential cornerback and who knows what he turns out to be. I love his story. I, I love what he has. You know, would I have taken him in the second round? Probably not. But that's the best part about the sixth round is you have that chance to do that thing. And, and so I, I like this pick a lot. Um, and, and who knows? Maybe, maybe he surprises more people and jumps ahead of Marco Wilson. We don't know. But the best part is you have these two young guys. If you said right now today that Mark, either Marco Wilson or uh, Tay Gowan would end up becoming a starter level cornerback in this league, you take in a second. You don't care which one, you take in a second and it would be a successful draft. What do you run in the 40, Tay Allen? Do you guys know offhand? I think we know each other well enough here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, where I can put you guys on the spot. I know the golden rule. Don't ask me a question where I don't know the answer. I never did see a 40 on Tay Gowan. He ran a 4-4-4 at his pro day. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. If he can play, if you can play, if you can cover, you know, the one year he played at UCF, he allowed 25 yards or fewer in nine of his 12 games. So I'm presuming he was matched up against the other team's number one receiver. So at least there's enough evidence here to warrant a six round pick at the very least. There's no doubt about it. Then you factor in the Cardinals need, then you factor in his chance to make this roster 
The other thing I loved about this, when I read some of the various media scouting reports looking for his 40, which I obviously never found, <laughs> I, saw a lot, I saw a lot of phrases like, and I quote them, I wrote them down, nasty nature, not afraid of physical play, man skills, further upside, had only the one year of FBS play. So I like that. If he's got that mentality too, where he doesn't man get an impressed man and he'll fight you as a corner, I'll take it every day. I think you have to have that type of mentality. When you talk about a six-round corner, it obviously means a guy that doesn't have the type of measurables of the day one, day two, fourth round type picks. And if you don't believe in yourself with maybe more of the uh, moderate regular athleticism, then I think you're sunk in the NFL because you really have to trust your technique and what you're doing, trust your ability to hang with these guys. And Justin Bethel, I think confidence might have been an issue for him as athletic as he was on special teams at cornerback. He always seemed a little bit tentative, wasn't sure if he could hang with some of these guys. So I think Tay Gowan and to a lesser extent, Marco Wilson, they just have to believe that they can play cornerback at a good level, have the technical ability to do so, uh, because these guys are going to get thrown a lot of things at them by wide receivers, and you have to hold up, especially if you want to play as a rookie. I don't know what Richard Sherman ran at his pro day coming out of Stanford, but I'll say this, doesn't matter. Don't even look up Richard Sherman. If you think of Richard Sherman in his prime, would you cite speed? I, I wouldn't. I, I'd cite his, his cover skills. The fact he was nasty, he'd fight you every snap, he'd compete, he was mentally tougher than you were. I mean, these are all things that, to me, made him a Hall of Fame corner, Richard Sherman. It wasn't that he ran a 4-2-5-40 or some sort of blazing speed. So if you can get a corner, to Darren's point earlier, you got to have some base athleticism, there's no doubt, just to compete. But once you get into the NFL, if you have some of those attributes, you know, that is what's going to separate you from so many different guys. And look, Andy Isabella, I'll use this as an example on the other side of the equation. When he had a nice start to his second year in the NFL, what did he cite? His confidence. His confidence was up. And he didn't always have that confidence his rookie year. And he might have even been a little intimidated at times his rookie year. And then just when we thought, okay, he was having a great start to year two, and then things leveled out, and he ended up the same way he did in year one, where he was a healthy scratch by December. So, yeah, it is critical in a lot of ways. Well, I think the Tom Brady of corners has enough confidence <laughs> in himself. <laughs> yeah, and then you have James Wiggins in, in round seven. Let me say that again. James Wiggins, the safety out of Cincinnati, 5'11", 209, round seven, pick number 243. And sort of similar to a Rondale Moore and even a Tay Gowan, you basically have one year to go on. He had an unbelievable 2018, tore his ACL right before the start of 2019, missed that year, admits that 2020 was kind of pedestrian for him. If you consider that injury for a lot of guys to be a two-year injury, then he's really not going to be himself until he gets to training camp 2021. And although he played in 2020, he wasn't as productive, Kyle, as he was in 2018. But man, 2018. I, he, he, he hit the scene and he had everything that moved as a safety that flew around the field for Cincinnati. Yeah, once again, production early in his career. And I think that's a good point about the ACL where we saw it with Tyron Matthew when he tore his ACL the first time. 
his 2014 season wasn't very good at all. In 2015, he was arguably the best defensive player in the NFL, and his athleticism came back, his explosiveness came back. And James Wiggins is a seventh-round pick, and if people thought that was the big issue, then they would have taken him in an earlier round. So once again, more of a flyer, more of a lottery ticket, but you can't argue with the athleticism already. And if he gains more explosiveness, at the very least, you have a nice special teams cog. And then maybe down the road, he can get into that safety mix. Right now, pretty much a log jam at the position, but in the future, maybe it opens up for him. I do feel like this was a pick for Jeff Rogers to give him another quality guy that can play special teams. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if he ends up coming in and being a, a solid special teams guy, even if he doesn't ever really evolve as a safety, I mean, it gives you some options. If James Wiggins plays really well or he can be your special teamer, who knows, maybe then you move on from a Charles Washington or maybe he he sticks around and, uh, and he, all you're doing is having one less receiver and now you have an extra special teamer at safety. I mean, with Trent Sherfield on, you just don't know. So I did a quick Google search on, on James Wiggins, and you know what came up? A 2019 college football freaks list that I guess Bruce Feldman puts out every single year. There's three dozen players on it. This is from all of college football, any level. And as you scroll through the names in that 2019 list, Isaiah Simmons is on the list. Rondale Moore is on the list. And James Wiggins is on the list and here's a little bit of the description. Ridiculously strong for being only 205 pounds. He's 5'11", squatting 725 and benching 225 for 18 reps. Better still, he had four game-winning picks in 2018, which was his breakout year, kind of akin to a Rondell Moore. He had that initial really spectacular campaign. And then for whatever reason, injury or otherwise, here we are come 2021. And, and that really was their calling card and what they – they're hanging their hat on. But, you know, I think of a Rudy Ford who the Cardinals took a flyer on on, on a day three back in, you know, just to see unbelievable athleticism. He excelled on special teams. Can he play safety? Mm, he was more of a special teams guy akin to a Justin Bethel. We'll see if James Wiggins gives you anything. He said all the right things that he, he really admires the game of a Buddha Baker and a Tyron Matthew, those an Antro Roll who went to the same high school as his in the Miami area. So, you know, uh, James Wiggins, I'm curious. I'm curious, especially if he's a hard hitter, bring it. I, w I was wondering when he mentioned Entro Roll if he even realized that Entro Roll was drafted by the Cardinals or if that just happened to be because he went to the same high school and didn't even realize it. I'll, I'll be curious to ask him that. Entro Roll, who, by the way, was drafted, what, eighth overall as a corner, then ended up uh, probably being better as a safety yeah. later on in, in his career. Uh, and then anybody have a comment on Michael Minette? Is it Minette? The uh, center out of Penn State uh, goes round seven. Uh, the only thing I would say about him, and I don't know a lot about him, is he's smart. He's older, so he's got experience. I do think that it's going to be tough to make this offensive line on the active roster. And I'll be curious to see uh, kind of where Lamont Galliard is right now, because I think everybody kind of assumes Lamont Galliard's the guy that's going to be your backup center behind Rodney Hudson. Uh, okay, so uh, who's going to be the first guy to call Buda Baker Carson Palmer? Uh, everybody throw everybody throw five bucks into the hat. Uh, is it going to be Pash? Is it going to be Wolf? Is it going to be Paulie Pencilneck? Uh, you guys on the – hey, we might not even get to the season. Might be you guys on the pregame show with Lisa Matthews. Yeah. Who's going to call number three Carson Palmer before they get to Buda Baker? It's going to be so hard to tell out there on the field. Like, yeah, one plays offense and one plays defense – 
What? How tall is Carson Palmer? Six five. Yeah. Buddha's like five nine. I, I I will say that if you if I had to lay bets when they first said that the players were going to be able to switch to single digits, so many more of them were going to be able to switch to single digits. I think Buddha would have been last on my list about a guy that would do it, just because he just changed and he just changed because he wanted thirty two so bad. It just it really strikes me as funny, but he did it. I'll give him that. Okay, you guys are the insiders. How much did he have to spend? How much did he have to invest to buy the inventory of the previous jerseys, the old 32 jerseys, because that's incumbent upon the player to take care of the existing inventory before you switch a number? Is he still the highest paid safety in football <laughs> or did uh, did that did that take away from it? <laughs> I, I, I believe you are still, I, I believe he's still, even if he had to shell out seven figures, perhaps. <laughs> it's funny, somebody said, that uh Dalvin, no, he's not gonna spend seven figures to change his number is he i i don't know somebody said dalvin cook the vikings running back i read somewhere was gonna have to spend just into seven figures to buy back all his jerseys and he's like yeah never mind wow i don't know i mean i we don't yeah. hear these things but see buddha did it once already he already had to do it with the 36 jerseys a couple years ago now maybe the inventory was a lot less because he wasn't a starter and everything. And that's what's so interesting about it is like, he's a pro bowler now. There's got to be a lot of Buda Baker jerseys out there, right? Well, you can spend seven figures on Bitcoin and lose all your money too. So, you know, I guess uh, it depends on your choice. You know, I mean, maybe he'll get a second job. And if he's looking for a second job to pay for the jerseys, well, guess what, everyone? State Farm Stadium is hosting a job fair this Saturday from 10 to 2. That is Saturday, May 8th, by the way. Over 600 part-time positions are available. Yes, we said over 600 Part-time positions are available for all the details, including a list of the open positions. All right. You just go to the website. And of course, the website did not translate to my sheet. So somebody want to look down and tell me because it omitted the website here. As I tell you that no sign up is necessary. You just show up at State Farm Stadium this Saturday from 10 to 2. So you don't necessarily need the website. But if you're going to go to the website for more information, in three, let me read it for you, Paul. Okay. Visit azcardinals.com slash job fair. One word. There you go. azcardinals.com slash job fair. And it is coming up this Saturday, 10 a.m., 2 p.m., State Farm Stadium, over 600 positions available. All right. So let's see. Uh, Buda Baker, maybe a second job to pay for the jerseys. <laughs> What's Larry Fitzgerald going to do in retirement? He might need a side gig, a greeter at Walmart. I don't know. Uh, Wait, what are you breaking news? Wait, did you, are you breaking news here, Paul? Did no, I, I'm just trying. I mean, if he hasn't announced it yet, is he is he really coming back? Although, wait a minute. I did have a theory. Where was it? Where was my theory? I had it down here. Oh, here it is. Here's further impetus for Larry Fitzgerald to come back and play yet another season. Zaven Collins, avid golfer says that golf is his, quote, getaway sport, and that although he's not a trash talker on the gridiron, quoting Zayvon Collins to the media, when we're out there on the golf course, I really let everyone have it. Attention Larry Fitzgerald, hashtag fresh meat. Zayvon Collins in town, and he wants to book a tea time with you sooner than later. Well, clearly, uh, Larry would still be able to golf whether he's playing in the NFL or not. So I don't know if that would be necessarily. And I do feel like even if he retires, 
and isn't an official teammate of Zayvon Collins. Something tells me the two of them will have a chance to meet at some point. So I'm not worried about that possibility of matching up. Paul, isn't there a theory sitting here on a silver platter for you? They drafted Rondell Moore in the second round. They've got four wide receivers. They did not take a tight end. They don't have a move tight end. Don't do it. Don't say it. Who, he they was don't, once, once upon a time, he was the best blocking receiver in the game, although he never admitted. I'm and doing your work for you, Paul. It, it, Kyle, you're leading a horse to water here. I still have yet to drink. I'm just figuring it out. You're right. And let's face it, uh, if Larry hasn't maybe been working out like he should have because he wasn't <laughs> contemplating retirement, he's probably put on the COVID-19 or wow. so. And, you know, it just further reason to forget about it. Don't even do the cardio or the other stuff necessary to lose the weight, get the body fat down. Just keep it on. Keep playing golf. You know, check in at about 255, Larry. You know you can do it on that frame at 6'3". And you're right. Just be sort of a hybrid tight end H-back. Wow. First of all, you're now – this is like throwing the uh, stick into the hornet's nest because the number of fans that want Larry to come back and why can't he play tight end? Uh, I'm guessing the number one reason Larry can't come back to play tight end is because he would have no interest in coming back to play tight end. None. And you, part of it was you just said it. He was like the best blocking receiver in the NFL, and he wouldn't even talk about it because he hated it so much. He was he in denial about being the best blocking yeah. receiver in the NFL. He ain't going to be a tight end. Please, let's not go there. I, I'm, I'm disappointed in Kyle for even both. Well, that's got to be more realistic than receiver at this point, right? Well, that's also true. But there are different kinds of tight ends. Uh, I mean, you Dan know, Arnold. Right. There's Dan Arnold. There, I mean, there's the Ricky Seals Jones. I mean, you think that guy was holding up at the point of attack? That's that's brilliant. That's what Larry Fitzgerald wants. He wants to be compared to the Ricky Seals Jones and Dan Arnold's of the world. Well, Kyle actually diverted me from my original theory. Oh, uh, you had a theory? Coming back for a piece of Zayvon Collins, which probably isn't enough. Um, now that the Cardinals receiver room from afar ostensibly looks full, and Antonio Brown signed with the Buccaneers, I'm going to go back to, I think, my February 3rd speculation, which was he's going to go to the Vikings and join his pal, Pat Peterson, <laughs> and he's going to bookend his career from Vikings ball boy to Vikings uh, receiver and Minnesota legend, and he's going to – him and Pat Peel just share Larry's place. They can bachelor it up, you know, because, come on, Pat P's wife is a doctor still doing her residency in Arizona. She's not moving to the Twin Cities. The two of them, they share Larry's place in Minnesota. They play for the Vikings, both on one-year deals. Pat moves on. Larry retires. Boom, we're done. So clearly, we have reached the point in the offseason where Larry absolutely has to tell us what's going on because Paul Calvisi has now resorted to recycling his theories. We need to get some closure to this. Closure. Well, I, I read about I came back to my middle linebacker theory for the Cardinals. That worked out, Zayvon Collins. So now I'm going to go back to an earlier theory on Fitz. At least I'm not the guy telling him that he's going to play tight end and come back to the Cardinals as a flex tight end like Kyle's doing. I mean, it took some doing, but Kyle actually undermined any of my theories. Hashtag, <laughs> it can always get worse, and that's on Kyle this time, not me. I think at this point – all signs are pointing toward retirement, right? I mean, he didn't make a decision before free agency, didn't make a decision before the draft. Vikings, tight end, finding a spot somewhere on this Cardinals roster as a receiver. They seem to get slimmer and slimmer 
ideas as the days go on. Suns minority owner Larry Fitzgerald, ladies and gentlemen. What is he waiting for, though? If he has retired, what is he waiting for to make the announcement? Is he just waiting for people to lose interest? Because everyone will lose interest in everything over time. It's just a matter of time. So does he want the hoopla around his retirement to just diminish with every passing day? Is that there, the thing? There'll, there'll be no hoopla diminished. I mean, we all could be on a beach somewhere in a month or a month and a half taking our off-season vacation. If the news comes down, there's going to have to be a podcast. So we're not going away, Larry. He's waiting for you guys in your July 4th vacations. That's what he's waiting for. And that's when he's going to throw it out there when you guys are officially, uh, supposedly off the clock. I mean, wait, he's not thinking of us? I don't understand. Yeah, I think he dislikes the Paul Calvisi podcast theories. And each week he wants to hear the next one. So he's, he's putting it off. He was ready to make a decision a month ago, but he likes the theories too much. Yeah, he keeps declining our invitation around here. He does all the golf podcasts, Larry, but he won't come on Cardinals Underground as we leave here a little bit salty. All brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals as we continue to wait, tick tock on Larry in more ways than one.